0: So you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 18, and we are going to jump right into it. The title of this morning's message is Forgive the Unforgivable. Forgive the Unforgivable. Would you agree with me in prayer um, as we begin here? Papa, again, we thank you so much for drawing us here this morning. We are coming before you and coming before your living word. We honor You and we honor Your Word, and we desire to hear You as You speak to us. Refresh us, Lord, this morning. Renew us this morning. Awaken us to the voice of Your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would, with clarity, understand what You are saying to us on this very important topic of forgiveness. Thank you for your forgiveness, and thank you that we learn more about it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 18, we will begin in the 21st verse this morning, and Lord willing, we will make it all the way through the end of chapter 18. Now, to keep us updated on what has been going on. Jesus has been speaking and sharing with his disciples. He's spoken to them about hell. He's spoken to them um, about church discipline. And Jesus has been very clear. Last week, yes, he talked about the topic of restoration, restoring a brother or sister in Christ through church discipline. A challenging thing to talk about, but Jesus talked about it, and so we talked about it as well. And so we have to remember, we're coming right off the heels of Jesus talking to brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians, about restoration through church discipline. And then this happens, Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And are we surprised that the disciple that we're hearing speak here is Peter? It's not. Peter doesn't let much silence go by. He does like to um, pipe up and say things, and he isn't always wrong, so we don't want to you know, paint him with that broad brush, but he is of that personality where, and maybe you know some people like this, maybe you are this person, the room gets uncomfortably silent and you just can't handle it, and so you fill the silence with your voice even if you haven't thought through what you're saying, or even if you haven't really considered whether what you're saying adds to any conversation or moves anything forward. Peter here has a question. And so I don't know Peter's heart in this. He just asked a question, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And this came right off of talking about church discipline. Okay. As many as seven times. I like how Peter kind of helps jesus with you know a a choice here maybe seven times as many as seven times and you think about it how many times should you forgive a person i get it you we're here you can read the end of this chapter here and you know the right answer no but i mean just from a perspective of this world like how many times should you forgive a person well once once is good you forgave a person once that's wronged you very good once is better than nothing right so that's good. You forgave somebody once. Very good. But what if somebody goes, what about twice? Ooh, oh, wow. Aren't you a forgiving person? Twice? Now that, that's some amazing forgiveness there. They didn't, just, they didn't just offend you once, they've offended you twice and you forgave them both times. Peter had an idea of what the acceptable number of forgiveness or, or number of times to forgive somebody was, he knew what that was. Kind of spoken of, the rabbis would speak of an acceptable number of forgiveness. Here's um, a few quotes. Here, this is one first one's from Rabbi uh, uh, Jose Ben Hanina, and he said, "He who begs forgiveness, you're asking out for forgiveness. He who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times." Okay, so the rabbis, these are some rabbis that would be teaching and they're going, hey, listen, if you've wronged somebody, do not ask for forgiveness more than three times. After the third time, you just, you just don't ask because, you know, it's, it's beyond it. You should not be doing that over and over again. So don't even consider asking for forgiveness. Another rabbi, Rabbi um, Jose ben Yehuda, said this, If a man commits an offense once they forgive him. If he commits the offense a second time, they forgive him. If he commits the offense a third time, they forgive him. The fourth time, they do not forgive. And so, you can see, all right, three times, like if one was better than nothing and two was like, wow, you are, wow, you're forgiving. Three? Oh, wow, that's amazing. That is amazing and that's all. And that is it. No more. No fourth one. Don't even want to talk about it. So that's whether you have offended and you're asking for forgiveness. Don't even ask more than three times. And the other one, receive, you know, being asked to forgive someone else, you're, you're only really expected to three times. But beyond that, you're not obligated to forgive them. Peter probably remembered what Jesus had spoken of and remembered the things that Jesus had said. And Jesus said this in Matthew 5.20. Jesus said, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Peter's probably thinking, you know, Jesus said, for me to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom standard for forgiveness is higher than the scribes and the Pharisees. So if they're saying three is the number, you know what, I'm going to blow this one away. I'm both going to ask Jesus about how much I should forgive, but then I'm going to give him a number that's going to be above the scribes and the Pharisees. Peter could have said four, could have said five, could have said six. But no, he goes, I'm going to go for that number of completion. I love it there. Matthew 21, 18, 21. As many as <clears throat> seven times. <laughs> and I don't know if he expected Jesus to be like, whoa, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. No, because Jesus has already said that to Peter earlier in the chapter, in the chapters we've read here. So he's already heard Jesus commend him, right? And he's probably like, all right, here we go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a really good, um, you know, answer here that's just gonna exceed what anybody expects. I, I I can relate to Peter. It's not, it's not like, hey, God, I'm doing something really, really good for you. Do you notice? Do you notice? Do you notice what I'm doing? But Jesus doesn't applaud, and Jesus doesn't say, wow, Peter. Instead, here's what Jesus says. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now the ESV has a translation there of 77 times, but what Jesus is saying there is seven times 70 is what he's saying. Seven times 70. 70. So at this point, can you imagine Peter, he's ready for the good job, Peter, but instead Jesus takes it and goes exponential with it and then, and then multiplies. I'm going to take your seven. Let's multiply it by 10 to make it 70. Oh, and then let's multiply your 70 by seven. Peter, this point's going, whoa, that's a lot more than I had expected. Jesus' number that he gives Peter is 70 times greater than the number that Peter gave to Jesus. And now this is not to say that Jesus' number is 490. Also, there's something seriously wrong with you if you are counting the offenses that people have done against you and you've got a counter and you're like, oh, which one's Jim's? This is not, this is, no, that's not Jim's. Where's Jim's? There's Jim's. Oh, he's at 489. Click. Done. Done with him. Never have to forgive him again. No that's clearly that's not the point the point is jesus has given such a high number that the issue is you're not supposed to stop forgiving people that's the point it's a large number to make a point also the numbers are not coincidental peter goes hey i'll completely forgive somebody seven times and jesus goes you'll completely forgive them times 10 times another completely forgive them and it's again it's the point of you need to forgive with no end. There is no end to what God expects for us, his kids, to forgive other people. You know, we use these exaggerations a lot. Oh, I've heard this person say this a thousand times. Did they actually say it a thousand times? I mean, they say it a lot. I understand that. Hey, I'll be there in five minutes. Do you mean five minutes or do you mean soon? Oh, I I just ate a ton of food for lunch. Did you eat a literal ton of food? So we use this hyperbole, we use this exaggerated language in our day-to-day speech. The hearer of Jesus would have understand clearly when he was saying that, Oh, how much do you forgive? You forgive without measure. You forgive with no end. You forgive those that have offended you. So then, Jesus doesn't stop there. I'm sure he's got his jaw open and other disciples as they're all listening to this. Verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That's an intense, there's not a story Uh, uh, This is not an account of a real thing that happened here. This is Jesus sharing a parable. And let's also keep this context in mind. This is a parable coming right on the heels of Peter saying, how often should I forgive somebody? And so Jesus shares this parable about forgiveness. This parable is not about eternal security. This parable is not about, oh, if I sin, do I go to hell? What does this mean? This This is very specifically about forgiveness. And what the king expects of those that follow him when it comes to forgiveness. And we see this here. And I think some people are like, well, oh, God just wants us to pay, pay, pay pay. God wants us to continually just pay for this and pay for that. He wants me to go to church because I got to put my time in and I've got to pay. I've got to do good things for other people because I've got to pay God. I've got to do all these things. And it becomes this, I've got to do all these works for God because I've got to square my accounts with him. I've got to make things even and make things right. The Bible speaks of sin as a sin. It's a debt that you and I cannot pay. The Bible doesn't say that God's asking us to pay, 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 pay. The Bible says that God has already paid what we could not pay. But if you want to receive the benefits of having what you could not pay paid for, you have to receive the one who paid it, Jesus. Ephesians 4.32 says this. You'll see it on the screen behind me. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, how do I forgive somebody for what they've done to me, for the pain that they've inflicted upon me, emotional pain, physical pain, the sleepless nights? How do I account for all of those? What are my reparations for what they've done to me? How could I forgive them? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, and here's, the met- here's the, how it should look like, as God in Christ forgave you. That is our gold standard, Christian. We forgive others the way that God, through his son Jesus, forgave us. I'm very thankful that this morning we remember what Jesus did for us in communion. I'm thankful that this morning we will remember how God in Christ forgave us. And the study is speaking of the forgiveness that comes through it. Before we take communion later in this service, we all need to search our hearts and we need to Consider what Jesus is saying here and see where we stand with others when it comes to forgiveness. Now, this story, this parable is not over yet. It still goes on. Verse 28, this man has been forgiven of much. Verse 28, and when that same servant went out, the one who had been forgiven, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. And he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. If you look at verse 29 and you look at verse 26, notice the similarity of what's being said here. Verse 26, the servant who owed much said, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Verse 29, the servant that owed owed less said to the servant who owed much, have patience with me, I will pay you. You would hope that the one who had just been forgiven of much would hear his own words being spoken by somebody else who owed him. And would kind of come to his senses and go, Wait a second, I was just a short while ago forgiven of something massive, and I'm hearing you asking for, pleading for me to be patient with you, like I just asked the king to be patient with me. Of course, I'll be patient with you. Of course, I will extend this to you. There's so much that's going on here in this passage. And I don't know if your Bible has footnotes. Some Bibles have footnotes and they'll kind of describe the, fina- the, the amounts that, that are described here. But let's look at it in their currency and let's look at it at what it would cost them in their time. So a denarius. A denarius was the, the Roman coin that was given... And it was equivalent to a day's wage. This denarius is the same as, it's not the same, it's a different coin, but the Greeks had a coin that was called a drachma. The drachma was for one day's wage. A denarius was the Roman coin for one day's wage. So one was Roman, one was Greek, but a drachma and a denarius both related to a single coin to pay somebody for one day's wage, which, 12 hours. So 12 hours of working and you got this coin, this denarius, you get more than that. It's a denarii. And, you, and this, this servant, and we'll just leave this screen up for a while here. This servant, the second one, it shows us there that he owed 100 denarii. 100 denarii. What does that mean? That means he owed 100 days wages. The Jews there would work six days a week, 12 hours a day. Six days a week, 12 hours a day, 72 hours a week is what they would uh, work. There'd be some holidays that would occur. So the 52 weeks in the calendar year, 50 of them they would be working and two of them with Jewish feasts and holidays and things like that, they, would be, they would, wouldn't be working. So 50 weeks of working, 12 hours a day, six days a week. So this second servant... The one who was put into prison because he couldn't pay, he owed 100 of these. Something between three and four months wages is what he owed. Now, if you look in your Bibles and we look and we leave the screen up, we look back to verse 24, the very first servant owed the king 10,000 talents, okay? Okay. So we now have to have a comparison. What are we talking about? Because what is a talent in comparison to a denarius? Okay. Are you ready? Look at this. So one talent is 6,000 denarii. 6,000, equivalent to 20 years of working. But this first servant owed the king How many talents? Ten thousand talents, which equals, if you look on the screen here, 60 million denarii, or 200,000 years of working. The Jewish listener would have understand would have understood what we see now they would have understood that jesus what he when he was talking about these figures he would have been like whoa if we can go to the very first screen that we just showed there that first amount that one denarius times a hundred is that an amount yes is it is, is it something that you can just ignore and go, that's, that's a zero amount? It's not a zero amount. One hundred of those, about three, maybe four months' wages. Yeah, that, that is something. But compared to, if we can go to the last screen, a hundred of these coins compared to 60 million of them? The servant who had just been forgiven decides to choke out the one who owed him a hundred. He owed 60 million and he chokes out the one that owes him a hundred. What are we talking about here? The topic is forgiveness. The title of this morning's message, again, is Forgive the Unforgivable. You know, what's very interesting is as we look at this here, I want us to note a few things about this story. In verse 28, if you would please look at that, the servant who had been forgiven of the 60 million denarii, after he was forgiven of it, he went out with the, to the same... That same servant went out and it says he found one of his fellow servants. I've got a question. Was that the first thing he did? I've been forgiven of so much. All right, where's that jerk that owes me a hundred denarii? I mean, it's a very interesting parable because right on the heels of being, and the word is forgiven of his great debt, he goes and looks for somebody that owes him a relatively small debt. It like it became his mission. I've been freed. So what am I going to do now with my freedom? I'm going to go find somebody that owes me. And does he go and have a conversation with him and go, Hey, listen, you owe me, but you know what? Take your time. Not a big deal. What does he do? He goes and chokes him out, chokes him. And as he's choking him, he's like, pay what you owe me. There's something that's malfunctioned in the heart of that Servant. Something has gone wrong. His heart is merciless. His heart is unforgiving. And you know what it shows? It shows that he has never truly received the forgiveness of the king because he did not show the forgiveness to others. You can't show somebody something that you yourself don't have. And when it comes to forgiveness, you can truly forgive others of even the most painful, heartbreaking Difficult things that you've experienced if you understand what you have done to Jesus. Because you see in this parable here, you and I, we are that servant that was forgiven of much. And by the way, the the number that Jesus gave, I just gave you the 10,000 talents because that's what the Bible says here. It's hyperbole. The point is, it's such a ridiculously large amount of money that it's, it's as if it could never be paid 200,000 years. Oh, can we also agree that that servant that went before the King that begged and said, please King, that what he said to the King, can we agree that he was a liar when he said it? What do you mean, Jim? Please look carefully at your Bible. Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees to the King, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Question. Was that man a liar? Yes, he was a liar. He can't pay it back. He straight out lied to the face of the king. Just give me time. Can we see that big pile of coin again? Please, king, give me time and I will pay you back everything. Liar. He's a liar. You know who else knows that he's a liar? The king knows that he's a liar. And did the king say, you know what? I like your plan. I like your plan. You're going to live to be 200,000 years old and you are going to pay me everything. You know what? Based on your financial plan to pay me back, I'm going to, you know what? I just, that's a great plan. I'm going to totally forgive you because your plan's amazing. No. Look at verse 27. And out of pity for him. That's the motive of the king. The king looks at the servant who cannot possibly pay back at all what he owes. And the king, out of pity for him, says, I release you and I forgive you of all that you owe me. This is the forgiveness that we have in Christ. It's not on a fixed number. The things that you and I have done to Jesus, it's our sins that put him to the cross. Well, Jim, Jim, it's the sins of the whole world. Stop. Stop. Are you trying to dilute your sin by bringing the whole world in on it? Don't do that. Your sin alone would have been enough for Jesus to have to go to the cross. Your sin is, a, is so huge that these numbers don't do it justice. My sin is so large that these numbers don't do it justice. What, what we have done in breaking God's law, what we have done to God this number doesn't do justice to. And what Jesus is saying here is through this parable, he's saying out of pity, not because we're going to pay God back with our good works and our righteousness, put a little extra in the offering plate, go dig some wells in Africa, go help out at the care home. Hey, listen, these are all good things, but don't you even think that for a moment that any of those things affect this? It does not. We serve God not to make, break even with him because we will never break even with him. We serve God and we love God and we love others because of the love that he first showed us. It's just out of a heart of gratitude that we do what we do. An unbelieving world, a non-Christian won't, has a, a difficult time comprehending that. Oh, got it, you're going to church because you, know, you got to, right? I got No. I get to learn and I get to be in the presence and experience what god has done for me nobody's forcing me to go oh i get it you're serving those people or you're donating your money to this this charity because you have to right cuz the scales you want to make sure you have enough so when you die you know things look you don't understand the scales they're, they're never going to even out doesn't work that way i'm going to always be in the debt of god always be in his debt i, I How great has the pain been that someone has caused you? You know, and you have to think, each one of us, you live in this life long enough and you will experience the pain that comes from others in this life. But you know what? If you live long enough and you've chosen to not forgive those people, then you've also experienced the consequences of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. I remember a season of my life when I just, I was so angry and upset at this person and I had all my reasons as to why I was angry, but here's what I noticed. I had to cycle through my list of why I was angry at them. Because if I just, if I just uh, went about my life, I would start to forget the offenses that they did towards me. And so when I thought about them, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I had to re- almost like rebuild my case against them every time. And as I did, I was like, oh yeah, let's churn, let's churn that muck in my heart. Yeah, that's Right. Oh, yeah, there's some really dirty stuff there at the bottom. Let's get that to the surface. There we go. Yeah, let's just stir all that up again. Yeah, that's why I hate them. That's why I hate them. Yeah, I remember now again. Unforgiveness is a sin. Jesus went to the cross for things like unforgiveness. I noticed these in my own life, some consequences of unforgiveness in my life. I noticed joylessness, uh, joylessness, I don't know if that's a word, but a lack of joy. Let's just say that. There was a lack of joy in my life, a lack of peace in my life. I noticed a feeling of that God was distant from me. I noticed a feeling, I, I usually sleep really well, but I started to have sleepless nights. And for me, that's not something that I experience. And so all of a sudden to have this huge stretch of time where it's like, why am I up again? I just want to sleep. Oh, that person, I'm so mad at them so mad at them. It starts to become the last thought you think about before you go to sleep and you wake up and you go, oh, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful, except for that person and what they did to me. It started to cause bitterness in me and then anxiety. It started to bring seasons of hopelessness into my life. It's interesting because sometimes there can be physical consequences to a spiritual issue. I'm not saying that if you have insomnia, it's because you're not forgiving somebody. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is that I experienced that. And I can also tell you that in counseling people over the years, I have seen any number of symptoms that have come as a person describes their heart of unforgiveness to others. I don't understand why I don't have this. God seems so far away from me. Have you forgiven that person that's wrong? I'm never going to forgive them. You don't understand. You don't understand what they've done to me. Can we put up that very first screen again? You don't understand what they've done to me. Oh, no, it's not that. It's a hundred times bigger than that. Uh Uh-huh, okay, okay. We're not here to take away what somebody else has done to you. We're not here to go, hey, it never happened. No, if somebody has wronged you, then they have actually wronged you. But let's keep an honest accounting with it then, shall we? At worst, Jesus here using this parable is saying, yes, people can wrong you. So maybe it isn't just one of those. Maybe it's a hundred of those. Okay. But let's compare it to that third one, if you wouldn't mind putting that up again. It's nothing compared to what you and I have done to Jesus. Nothing. It's not on the same scale. And that's why, if we can put Ephesians 4.32 up again, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Here's your standard. Here's your gold standard. As God in Christ forgave you. If we can put that third picture up. If God in Christ forgave you of more than this. Can we put that first picture up? How much are we supposed to forgive people of that? What excuse do you have? You are without excuse for holding back forgiveness from somebody who's wronged you. It doesn't mean that they're not going to experience consequences. It doesn't mean that you forget what they did. That's not it. Forgiveness is a choice and not a feeling. We talked about this last Sunday. You choose, it's a matter of your will, to say, I will not hold that against you again. When that thought comes to my mind, I will choose not to stir it again. I will choose to leave it to the hands of God, a God who has forgiven me of so much more. This is, a, this is not an easy topic to speak about. But what happens to this consequence? Because the story is not over yet. There, there are some consequences here. Verse 31, look at this. Matthew 18, verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. I found an article, and this one was written by a professor at the Crowell School of Business. And I'm like, okay, great. So this guy is at a school of business and he went through Matthew 18 and he wanted to give a modern valuation, if you will, to what was given here, you know, for this much work, this many years of work and all of that stuff. So his numbers were from 19 or 2010. So I looked at the state of California, minimum wage and minimum overtime and all that stuff and came up with these numbers here. So the servant who owed the hundred denarii in today's equivalent wage, it would have been $17,600. Is that an insignificant amount of money? No. And what people have done to you is not insignificant, okay? That's what we have to, I want you to understand. It's not like God's saying it never happened. It's not like God's saying, oh, that's nothing. No, God's like, that is something. But if you look at what the 10,000 talents would be in today's currency, in 2019, $10.56 billion. This is somebody who has been forgiven of $10.56 billion going and choking out somebody that owes him $17,600. Billions to thousands. It's on a totally different scale. Consider your life. You're holding somebody hostage with unforgiveness because the only person you're holding hostage is yourself. Odds are they don't even know how you feel about them. They don't understand how you're perpetually angry at them. Well, this is the last time. This is the last time that I forgive them. Please remember what your king, if you're a Christian, please remember what your king said. 70 times seven. There is no cap to this. You forgive. You forgive. Every time every time. What if it's the same thing again and again? Forgive them. It doesn't mean that you accept what they've done as right. It doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to what they've done, but it means that in your heart, you make the decision to not hold that over them. Here's why. Because if Jesus did that to any one of us, we are all done. We're all done. All done. Could you imagine? Ah, I shudder at the thought of God bringing up just one of the things from my past. Oh, Jim, really? You know what, Jim? I was just thinking about you today and then I remembered something you did towards me. And I'd like to remind you of what you've done to me. I'd like to hold it over you. Yes, it's very heavy. I'm going to hold it over you and then I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to remember something else. I'm going to bring that up and I'm going to bring this up and I'm going to bring this up. The, th- the thing is, it doesn't help the person who sinned against you, but it's not helping you at all. It's not helping you at all. Be free from that heart of unforgiveness. You know, here's what we see in Mark, Mark eleven 25. You're not supposed to be in the presence of God with this unforgiving spirit. Like, you're not supposed to be like, hey, everything's cool while I don't forgive somebody. Mark eleven twenty five. 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Wow, so you're in the presence of God. Jesus is saying there, take some inventory and go, oh, yeah, there's this this person in the situation and I just and God's like, "Forgive him. Forgive him." So that your heavenly Father who's in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Wait a second. That almost seems like that's conditional. It almost seems like God will forgive me as I forgive others. You have read that correctly. Wait, does that mean that if I don't forgive other people, I won't experience the forgiveness of God? Yeah. I think some some Christians, and we are talking, this is an in-house, in-family conversation here. I wonder how many Christians struggle with this, like, I just don't feel God's forgiving me about this. I don't understand why I don't feel forgiven. Well, do some inventory. Are there people that you haven't forgiven? And verse 35 in Matthew chapter 18. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In case we were confused about that. Wait, what will he do? Oh no, I'm going to lose my salvation. Like this guy was taken in jail and, and with the jailers until the debt should be paid. If I don't forgive somebody, that means I've lost my salvation. Remember, this is not a conversation about salvation. The whole point of this parable started when Peter said, how many times should I forgive? This parable is about forgiveness. And the other thing too is this person wasn't killed. This person was put into a prison until they should pay all of their debt. This is a picture of God saying, oh, you want to hold something against somebody else? All right, then I'm going to withhold my forgiveness from your life and you're going to be put into a prison of your own making a prison made out of your own unforgiveness for others, and you're going to stay there until either you pay off your whole debt, which is not possible, or you come to your senses and go, God, why am I angry and unforgiving towards others when you have forgiven me of so much? You get it, and you get to come out of your jail. I wonder how many believers are in a prison of their own making because they have a heart of unforgiveness to people who have actually wronged them. But if you want to experience the forgiveness of God, then God says you must, must forgive those who have wronged you. C.S. Lewis said this, and this is where the title of the message comes from. In his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Sometimes we have a hard time forgiving somebody of what they've done that's been so great to us. So you know what we need? We need an example of even greater forgiveness. And that's when we look to Jesus and we go, oh, and we see him on the cross. And we remember him as we take the Lord's Supper together and we share in communion together. And we look and we realize, I did that. I put you on the cross. And at that point, when we look at what we've done to Jesus in light of that and in comparison to that, what anybody else has done to us pales in comparison to what each of us have done to God. And that's why we take communion every few weeks. That's why we remember Jesus. That's the danger of not talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't talk about what you and I have done to Jesus, then all of a sudden the offenses that people have done to us, yeah, you know what? I don't think I will forgive them. I think I'm justified in not forgiving other people. We are not justified in in holding forgiveness back. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Just so you know that this is not an isolated principle in Scripture. Put on then as God's chosen ones, these are God's people, holy and beloved, This is what you're supposed to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Verse 13, Colossians 3. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, here's your standard, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We are not given any wiggle room here. Somebody in my past that abused me. It doesn't mean that the abuse didn't happen. But what God is saying is that you must forgive them. You must free them of a debt that is infinitely less than what you have done to Jesus. And I think what happens is we start to say, wait a second. We either pump up what somebody has done to us to a level that's just, this is what they've done to me. Well, we have to bring it into scale. Let's bring it into scale about what we've done to Jesus. And it, the ceiling is too low. My hand is too short. The skies are too low. The universe is too small to have an accurate scale of how much we have offended God compared to what the greatest person that's ever offended you has ever offended you in your life. It's not on the same scale. So I wonder for you and I, what is it? Is it, is it a little bit of both that we, we don't realize that how much God has forgiven us of? how much we've wronged the King of glory, how we sent him to the cross. For me personally, that's the thing that helps bring it all back into perspective. It's not me minimizing what somebody has done to me. That's what it is. It's me realizing what I've done to Jesus. And as I look at what I've done to him, this gap, it, it, it's huge. Which then makes it easier for me to say, wow, if he's forgiven me of this much, I can forgive you. You know that picture, that cover picture that we have and that painting that we have or that drawing that we have there, that person that's in the middle is the same person. Asking for forgiveness of the king, for a debt that they could not ever repay, but then turning to then demand that those that have wronged them pay them every denarii denarius every single last thing it should not be this way in this image right here this person here should should have modeled the posture and the attitude of the king this gracious hey as their servant someone that owed them was begging them but instead you see this happening here and this is what jesus has issue with Oh, child of God, you receive the forgiveness of God, but you are not willing to show that to everyone. It's a huge message. And I'm sure that as Jesus was sharing this, all the listeners were just going, wow. This really takes the wiggle room out of it. Who am I supposed to forgive? Everyone. For what? Everything. Why? Because Christ has forgiven you of the inexcusable things that you have done towards him. You know, sin is extremely costly to forgive and that's why it's so hard to do. It's so costly to forgive. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, let us go to Calvary where Jesus was crucified to learn how we may be forgiven. So we go there to to learn how we may be forgiven. We go to the cross and then let us linger there so that we can learn how to forgive others. If you're a Christian, then you've gone to the cross and that first part has already happened You've gone to the cross and you've learned how you can be forgiven of all of your sins. But this morning, as our worship team comes up now, we are going to linger at the cross so that we, each of us, might learn how we can forgive those who have wronged us. And maybe right today, maybe you don't have a person, you're going, you know, I think my accounts right now are good. I don't I don't feel like I'm holding unforgiveness. Praise the Lord and don't forget today's message because someone was going to offend you and it's going to hurt deep it happens in this life you know sometimes to to help us remember what a great offender we are and how great God's forgiveness is towards us we need to share in communion and we need to remember the great cost for the justice that was served cuz here's the thing sometimes we say you know what god from you, God, like the person, this picture here on the left side, God, what I want from you, God, I want mercy. Mercy, God, mercy. And what I want for everybody that's wronged me, I want justice. You and I, we, we do not want justice for what we've done. What does God choose to give us? Instead of giving us justice, God gives us mercy. And he asks us to give mercy to those Well, this is great. How cool is that? God just says, hey, you know what? Forget justice. I'm not a God of justice. I'm just a God of mercy. No, God is a God of justice. I'm confused now. You can't just make the justice that's required disappear. You're absolutely right. Justice must be served. And God the Father said, I'm going to place all of my wrath upon my son. My son will willingly receive all of the justice that you deserve. And I will give you the mercy. Church, this is why we have to extend mercy to those who have wronged us. Because God has extended mercy to us and Jesus has absorbed the justice that should have been ours. Let's bow our heads and pray for just a moment here. Papa, as we consider this word and as we consider this message, we understand the weight of what's being said here. Each one of us is guilty. Each one of us, by our thoughts, words, and deeds, deserve justice to come upon us. But God, you are rich in mercy and you sent your Son to to absorb and to be the focus of all of your justice so that you might pour out all of your mercy on us. I pray, God, that you would free us from a prison of unforgiveness. I pray for those that are in the sound of my voice this morning, here or on the radio or listening on the internet, that are in a prison of their own making. They're without joy, anxious, depressed, physical issues and conditions, and they know in their heart of hearts that it's linked to their unforgiveness. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show them all that they have been forgiven of so that they might put it in perspective so that they might forgive those who have wronged them. We thank you again for your great forgiveness. We are going to linger at the cross and consider all you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have, uh, when you get the communion elements, the ushers will come by and pass out the communion elements. And when they do, please hold on to both of them and we'll take them together at the end of this song. we consider, as we hold these symbols here, this bread that represents the body of Jesus, this cup of grape juice that represents the blood of Jesus. I'd like to read you a quote from Max Lucado. He said, if you are overdrawn at a bank, a fine must be paid. If you are overdrawn with God, a penalty must be paid as well. The fine at the bank is a hassle, but the penalty from God is hell. Jesus not only balanced your account, he paid your penalty, he took your place, he paid the price for your sins. And you think about like the last words that a person will say, the last words in this life as they breathe their last words. Probably the last thing a person's going to say when they're breathing their last word is some financial term. They're probably not going to say... Deposit, and then breathe their last. Withdrawal, deposit. Cash advance. And you just go, what are we talking about right now? Jesus chose in his last word here on this wor- world to use a banking term. The word he said was tetelestai. It's a financial term. It is what is said when the final installment has been paid on a debt. When you finally write that last check and you go, Yes, the car's paid off. For your mortgage, you're all done. You go, Yes. If we were in their day and age, you would say, die. It's finished. The debt has been paid. Jesus in his last words on the cross chose a banking term to illustrate that your account for all those that were received is paid off. It's finished. It's complete. And after saying that, Jesus breathes his last. Jesus came to pay what you could not pay so that when others sin against you, you can forgive them of the infinitely less things that they've done to you compared to what you and I have done to Jesus. So we hold this piece of bread in our hand. We remember the body of Jesus Christ, an innocent man dying for the guilty. Papa, we thank you so much for your son who willingly went to the cross, who willingly chose to absorb all of your wrath, all of your wrath that was directed should have been directed to us. Instead, you directed to your son who willingly took it all. Someone had to take the justice, and Jesus took it. Jesus, we remember what you've done for us. We do not forget, and we want to say how thankful we are. Church, we take and eat, remembering the body of Jesus. And as we hold this grape juice here in our hand, we remember the blood of Jesus Christ. It forgives us of all of our sins. How many sins? All of them. All of them. All of them. And we remember what this cup represents, the forgiveness of all of our sins, so that it would be easier for us to forgive those who have sinned against us. If God can forgive us of what we've done to him, how could we withhold forgiveness against those who have wronged us? Papa, we remember the blood of your son Jesus. Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there could not be the remission of sins. We receive your mercy and we are heartbroken, Jesus, that you absorbed all of the justice. We pray that we would follow after you well as we extend mercy to all who have wronged us in the past, in the present, and in the future. Thank you for showing us how to forgive. And thank you for forgiving us first. Shall we take and drink, church? Amen. Amen. God has done so much for each one of us. And so let us not get amnesia as we leave here. Let us not forget the great price that God has paid for us. And God has been speaking to each one of our hearts. And if there's someone that came to mind where you're just going, I just, I, uh, I, I know I need to make, I got to do my part. I need to forgive. Then you need to forgive. Maybe for you, that means you make a phone call this afternoon. You send off an email. You have a face-to-face conversation. But you need to forgive. You need to get out of the prison of your own making. God still loves you. Christian, you're still a Christian. But you're not going to be effective for the ministry and the work of the Lord as long as you continue to hold back forgiveness from others. So I just encourage you forgive. Um, Shall we stand if you're able to? Let's sing a closing song to our Lord. If you'd like some prayer, there'll be a few of us standing over here. We'd love to pray pray with you. God bless you.